Thanks, you guys. Is that not the most one of the most beautiful songs you've ever heard? You all sang it so well. I'm Lynn Kitchens, and I'm so glad to be here with all of you today to talk about how great God is. And today we get to talk about fear, which would be no fun at all if uh, we didn't have, I've got my sheets wrong, if we didn't have a remedy for it. Okay, can someone give me a verse sheet? Ah, never mind, here it is, thank you. I'm so organized, I'm too organized. I put it, put it where it needed to be. Um, not to say that after today, looking at Psalm 91, which um, it's been so fun because so many of you have told me it was your favorite psalm, it is your favorite psalm, it was your mother's favorite psalm, um, whatever. When we study it today, it doesn't mean we're never going to fear again, but we, we are learning that we don't have to succumb to daily fears, which turn into succumbing to fears throughout the month, which turns into fears throughout a year. And pretty soon we realize it's more natural in our life that we're a fearful worrier instead of a victorious Christian. And that's not what God has intended for us at all. Uh, how can we be the children of the mighty God of the universe and live in daily fear as if we have no God at all? But we do it. I do it. It's easy to do. It's really sad, but it's easy to do. Not what God wants. And when Jesus walked on this earth, it was not what Jesus wanted. I was thinking through all the times that he would say to people around him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I listed a few of them. Worrying about your material needs, Jesus said, God knows what you need. Don't worry. Worried about natural catastrophes when the disciples were in the waves and they were crazy. Jesus looked at them and said, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Worried about persecution and defending your belief. Jesus said, don't worry. God's spirit will do the speaking. You just trust him. Worried about what unjust men can do to you? Jesus said, don't be afraid of what man can do to you. Be afraid of um, God. Don't be afraid of man who can kill the body, but not the soul. Afraid of the unexplained when Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, and they fell on the ground in terror. He said, get up. Don't be afraid. Afraid of death. When Jairus' daughter was dying, Jesus looked at him and said, Don't be afraid. Just believe. And how about afraid of all the troubles this world brings? Jesus said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But we are often afraid, and it feels like there are dangers around every corner. There are heartaches just waiting to happen in our life. And it's so easy to forget our God is a mighty fortress. I love the songs we sang today. So we have to exercise our faith so we stay in that fortress throughout our days and nights. Um, a few years ago, we took our kids, they weren't married yet, uh, to the beach for a vacation. And um, some of the people that live there told our family, okay, there's this mother shark 
that's way out there, and they kind of pointed the area, and she's got this baby shark, and they sleep during the day in this little, like, cave. You can see if you got your snorkel stuff on. You know, smart people would have said, I'm staying away from there. <laughs> Which we did for a while. And then on the last day, Cassie and Tyler said, we just want to, you know, look at the sleeping shark and her little baby. So they swam, and, and I was actually on the shore, yay. I, I don't think I knew they were doing this. And it was way out there. And all of a sudden, I see my son swimming like I've never seen him swim in his life towards the shore, never stopping. He comes on, he's breathing heavy, and he's telling us how he and Cassie uh, were over the sleeping shark area, and the mother shark looked up and saw them and came up out of the cave and was swimming toward them when Tyler abandoned his sister and swam for his life to shore. Cassie was somewhat paralyzed but managed to take a picture. Now, I've got it, but you've got to look real close. That's coming out of its little cave. It actually rose up and got very close to Cassie, and then she swam for her life thinking all the time this shark was about to grab her foot. But it was a nurse shark, and I don't think they hurt anybody. But that was kind of our fun uh, shark adventure. So it was very surprising. Just a few years later, we took our family to another beach. And my son had a great plan for us all. Let's all swim with the sharks. Now, how could he go from being so terrified to wanting to swim with the sharks, and the answer is very simple. We would all be in a big cage, and the sharks would not be in the cage with us, which sounded good. So Cassie got some pictures of that as well. Here's one. So we are in this cage with millions of sharks swimming around us. So it was kind of crazy, and I'm never going to do it again. Tyler went from fear to confidence in the same situation because the second time he swam with the sharks, he was in a fortress. That's the answer to the command, don't be afraid. we got to be in our fortress. We have to go to God as our refuge because there are sharks swimming all around us. There are evils there is death, there is dangers, there is the devil. We face these things in confidence when we are grounded in our fortress. And Psalm 91 teaches us how to do that. This was kind of fun. I learned, too. How many of you remember Jimmy Stewart, the um, fun actor? If you saw It's a Wonderful Life, you know Jimmy Stewart. Um, I read that his dad wrote out Psalm 91 when Jimmy Stewart went away to World War II and wrote a note with it and said, the thing that will take the place of fear in your life is the promise of these words from God. And Jimmy Stewart carried Psalm 91 with him into battle a lot. And when he got home, it was all tattered and torn up, and he told his dad how much it meant to him and how important those promises were because he faced quite a few battles, actually. And I'm glad God you know, protected him because what would It's a Wonderful Life be without Jimmy Stewart in it? <laughs> so the psalmist would tell us first, deepen your faith in your fortress 
Trust God's character. And I know most of us who's been teaching the teaching team, we've been saying that most every week. But understanding who God really is, really is the foundation for healthy spiritual living. And it is absolutely essential if you want to do life in the fortress, if you want to overcome your fears, if you question the character of God just a little bit, just enough so there's a little crack, it's enough for fear to seep in and begin to dominate your life. When we think, why did God do that? Why didn't God do this? Does he really love me? Can he really do anything about that? Is he in control? Does he even know what I feel? Has he given up on me? Is he able to help me? Is he great? Is he good all the time? Little fears seeping in. The psalmist tells us in this chapter, get in your fortress. Let me tell you about your fortress so you won't have those fears anymore. Look at verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. First we see he's Most High. In the Hebrew, this is Elyon. And it means that God is uniquely supreme above all others because he's the owner and the ruler of all. Now think about this. Israel is surrounded by pagan nations. Their gods are sticks and stones. This is what they cling to when frightening things happen in their lives. Sticks and stones made by the hands of man. Only Israel had Elion, the God, the one true God, who was the ruler and owner of all. And we see this title of God when Abraham rescues his nephew Lot from some danger. And look at that on your verse sheet, Genesis 14. Melchizedek was the high priest. He blesses Abraham and he said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So we see the priest calling God most high the possessor of heaven and earth. And I got to thinking about that and thought, that is absolutely true. He's a possessor of heaven and earth in virtue of creation and redemption. Not only did he create the world, he had a plan to redeem it and bring it to himself. And that's why when you think about this title of God Most High, it was very prominent when he was announcing the birth of his plan when his son, Jesus Christ, was about to be born to redeem the earth. Look at Luke 1. They told Mary, Behold, you will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Son of the Most High God. And even the powers of darkness, when they were around Jesus, they knew 
He was the son of the most high God. In Mark 5, there's a time when, remember the demon-possessed man? He's filled with demons. And the man sees Jesus coming towards him, and the demon runs to Jesus, falls down on his ground, and yells out to him, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Don't torment me. So Jesus says, Okay. And the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God, sent the demons into a herd of pigs because he could do that, because he's a possessor of heaven and earth, because he's the owner and ruler of all, because he's the Son of the Most High God. And the demons recognized he had the right and the authority to do whatever he wanted to do with them. Our fortress is also... God Almighty. You see that in verse 1 as well. That means El Shaddai. If you all remember the Amy Grant song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. It means all-sufficient one. This is another character trait of God. He's all-sufficient, and he's able to protect his own. We see this name also first used with Abraham when God is reiterating his covenant with Abraham and giving him promises of blessings. And in this verse in Genesis, God calls himself God Almighty. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And you have to think, Abraham was thinking, multiply me? I'm going to have children? I am 99 years old. Not sure that could happen. But guess what? Abraham was standing before God Almighty, Almighty to do whatever he willed to do. He would be sufficient and able to do that. Same is true in our life. We look at things and they seem impossible. God Almighty can get things done. So I think when fear is pricking our hearts, we start feeling hopeless against it. It is so good to remember these two names of God, Elian, God Most High, El Shaddai, All-Sufficient One, God Almighty. We don't have a fortress that changes, that shifts, that moves, that is weak, that is shaky. Like a shack, our fortress is not made out of sticks and stones. Our fortress has walls called Most High and Almighty. We have to remember that, and then we can trust him. And in these verses, we're shown that the person who makes God their trust, they're assured of their safety in him. And here's the words, they dwell in him, they abide in uh, in his shadow. So think about Israel in the summertime. Do you want to be standing in the sun? A shadow was a safe and a healthy place to be. And so it's a great word there. And to abide in God's shadow, literally the word means to lodge there. So you're lodged under God's protection. And I think it's a great reminder for us, don't just run in and out of your fortress. Don't just go and come, and when you're in a bad place, go run. What do these verses tell us? Dwell there, 
lodge there, abide there, so that when your fears come along, they don't have the power to shake you up. And then you go to the fortress. You already begin to deal with it in God, with God's strength. Um, This doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us. But nothing bad will ever happen to us that he does not permit. And if he permits it, we have to remember our Most High and God Almighty will get me through it. I dwell in him. I'm lodged with him. I get through it. Those are the walls around me, Most High and Almighty. Uh, I, I thought about the story in the book of Daniel. Remember when... King Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, he built this gold image, and he said, whenever you guys hear music, all my subjects, you have to bow down and worship this image. And remember, there were three Jews who refused to do that, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bungalow. That's Ted's joke. Ted always says that. A bungalow, really a bednago. They refused to do it. And so the king said, because you refused to do this, You're going to get thrown into a blazing furnace. And then the king asked them this question. What God is there who can deliver you out of my hand? Things looked very hopeless indeed. They had the most confident and amazing answer. I want us to read it. Talk about fear. They are facing death in a furnace. And here's what they said. Look on your verse sheet. Uh, Daniel 3. Oh, for some reason it's down a ways. King said, What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Such a great example for us. They trusted in God no matter how God would choose to act. They knew he was able to save, but they didn't presume to know his will. That's how we live in our fortress. It was enough for them to know he's the God, the only true God. He's the God above all other gods. He's above your silly gods of gold and sticks and stones. We're going to continue to trust in him. This was their confidence that overcame their fears. And then we have to trust God's faithfulness. Look at verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. So those who live in God as their fortress will trust he'll be faithful to them from all kinds of dangers. Here we see the snare of the fowler. This would be any kind of a secret attack on your life. You sort of picture this hunter out trapping um, unknowingly their prey. And then also deadly pestilence. And back then, diseases and plagues and illnesses they were very serious and they were something to be feared and they still are today and we also have lots of other evils that plague us and multiply and grow like a disease does 
The word deadly pestilence, deadly can be translated noisy, which lets us know these are not the sneaky hidden attacks. These are dramatic evils. These are annoying. These are loud. So these verses are about both the obvious and the unobvious dangers. And the psalmist says, okay, God's got you covered in both of those kind of dangers. And in our fortress, God is like a great mother bird. And we find refuge there. To cover means that he's protecting us from the things that want to prey upon us. And um, some of you may have seen this picture before. It's been on the Internet, and Jill Bush sent it. Do you see the little babies in there? Isn't that a great picture of this verse, of how God wants to cover and protect us? Moses described God using these very words. Look on your verse sheet, Deuteronomy 32. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. God found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him like a bird. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. These are also words that Jesus used when he described his great love for Jerusalem and his fears for all the coming dangers that were going to come on them because the fortress was in their midst and they refused to get in it. Look what he says in Matthew 23. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? When we get this picture, we learn about God's faithful protection, and we see that it's like this, and we see that Jesus said the same thing. We have to uh, realize we learned something really wonderful. God delivers us from the evils that assault us because we are his beloved children, because we are loved. We can count on that. This is a faithfulness in his life. His love won't change. It endures forever. This is an incredible protection for us. In fact, the psalmist also said it is like a shield in our life. The word shield and buckler envisions an armor that covers our entire body. It means to go around. Sort of like if you looked at a castle or a fortress and it has mounds of dirt piled all the way up and they go all the way around. That's the picture we're supposed to get there. And I thought, oh wow, his faithfulness is like a holy security that surrounds us. And I don't think just physically, I think mentally, emotionally. Knowing these things about our God is an emotional security in our life as well. Those things that want to harm us will not defeat us because we hold the shield of God's faithfulness. And what does that look like? Actually, like wings of love. Wings of love over us. I was thinking about uh, Peter, remember when he was kind of in his really most confident stage at the time of the Last Supper and he's talking about his deep devotion to Christ and his love for him 
And then Jesus says to him, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I've been praying for you. Now, was Peter aware that he had any issues at all? It doesn't seem like it. Did he know that Satan wanted to attack him and Jesus had been praying over him? That's what happens with us. It's easy to think, oh, gosh, I don't know. I can't think of many times God delivered me. Okay, I'm going to say, you didn't know. Peter didn't know. You don't know how Jesus is praying for you. You don't know that Satan has schemes for your life, that Jesus is covering you and guarding you. What a great thing. We trust his faithfulness. We trust his righteousness. Look at verse 5. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Okay, he lists some dangers. These are dangers I think we all face in this world. And do you notice how he goes from day to night, night to day? His point is, dangers never stop. We don't go to bed and think the dangers are done. Dangers are going on. It's all day. That's the point of this. Terror of the night, things that threaten us in the darkness. Terror of the day, things that attack us in the day. Pestilence in the darkness, any unforeseen enemy that wants to plot against us. Destruction at noonday. That word destruction there actually means plague. And you could see what it means. If, if there were plagues and epidemics going on long time ago... The heat of the day just made it worse. The heat and the sun just made things get worse. That's what evils do. Illness grows in the heat, and so do evils. So we see these words, terror, arrows, pestilence, destruction, (laughs) depths of evil. The psalmist is saying, God's got him covered. He's righteous. If you don't know God Most High, you should certainly be fearing these things. And for those kinds of people, it may bring death to thousands. But those who dwell in the fortress will be protected from the kind of dangers that the wicked suffer. And we trust this about God. He is righteous, and so he is going to honor and protect those who pursue his righteousness. That's what we believe. We understand that when we're walking his righteous path, that he will lead us away from dangers and toward his blessings. Look what 2 Peter says about that. If God didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, who was a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the ungodly, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and yet if he rescued Lot, who was greatly distressed by their sensual conduct of the wicked, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. 
Look back at verse 8 in your Bible. He says, we will look and we will see that this is true about God. He's righteous and he protects those who pursue his righteousness. And I thought, yeah, Israel. They're trying to cross the desert, the wilderness, the Red Sea's before them. God parts it. They run through. They get to the other side to look. And what do they see? The unrighteous. The Red Sea closing up upon them. And they see God has blessed us. There will be punishment and judgment for the unrighteous. We look around in this world. We look and see the wreckage of sin in the lives of the wicked. In our fortress, we do have a protection because he's righteous and he brings that to us. The punishment and the consequences are the, of the wicked are as sure as the deliverance of the righteous by our righteous God. I read this incredible story of a, a missionary who years ago was in actually Ethiopia when it was had a communist rule, so it's been quite a few years ago. His name was Abera, and he worked with youth in Ethiopia in this communist country, and he had written a report about what God was doing with the youth there, and somehow the com one of the communist leaders in that area got a hold of this report, didn't like what he read, and so decided he would have to um, go to prison and be executed, this man, Abera. And then the leader said this to Abera, the only way you can overturn this sentence is to deny that you're one of the believers in Jesus Christ. And Abera said, if you execute me, I will be with God. And he said, I thought you'd say that. So you're getting executed. So he throws him in a prison. And then Abera says, in prison, God made him a composer. That he never sang much, but all of a sudden, God gave him all these great songs, and they were good songs, and he would sing them, and everyone in his cell would sing them, and pretty soon, people, all the, all the um, prisoners, looked forward every day to singing these songs. And one guard, especially, would threaten them and try to get them to shut up, but their thought was, hey, you're going to kill us anyway. We're going to sing. And it would lift their spirits. And many people came to Christ in that prison listening to these songs that God had given Abera. But there was this one guard who couldn't stand this. He hated them. So he took the words that gave honor and glory to God and he substituted them with bad words and filthy words. And he would sing those back to this cell and they would just try to ignore him and he would hit them and beat them and mock them and make fun of them and one day he took his rifle and said tomorrow's the day tomorrow's the day I get to use this on all of you and you won't sing anymore little did he know that God honors the righteous just after midnight this huge storm comes into the area hail winds, horrible storms. And the roofs begin to get blown off of most of the crummy-built prison <laughs> roofs, except for cell one, where this group of strong Christians would sing these songs every day. The, the mean guard, his roof came off. The commander's roof came off. 
And they were getting pelted, and hail was hitting them, and rain was coming down. And the group in cell one were just praying about the whole situation. The next morning, they're supposed to be taken out by the guard and shot. To their shock, they open the door, and who do they throw into the cell but the crummy guard without his uniform on? And they start hitting him and said, we told you to quit troubling those people of God. Look what God did to us. You stay in here now and learn your lesson. <laughs> and so he did. And they loved on him. They forgave him. They talked with him. Here's what he said later on. I know that the Lord was with you. I know the way I should have treated you. But Satan persuaded me otherwise. Please forgive me. And many other people came to Christ. And obviously, they never got executed because they told the story. <laughs> they lived to tell the story. What a great story of our fortress and his righteousness and blessing those that are righteous. But here's the elephant in the room. You all know people who have suffered. You know people who have died. You know, people who are sick. This was also true in the Old Testament. This was also true in the New Testament. Sometimes it's not God's plan to work a miraculous delivery like he did for these men in Ethiopia. These are the times it's important to know again who God is and cling to what we know to be true like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And trust him. These verses teach us it's a sure thing that those who live outside of the fortress will face many, many dangers. But those inside the fortress will not experience the consequences that come with a dark future. We may be outwardly harmed, but we are always inwardly victorious. The people outside the fortress, they can't say that. We can. God's servants are immortal until our work on earth is done. God's servants are immortal until our work on earth is done. Our future is eternity in heaven. That's the greatest deliverance of all. Another point I want to make here is that this is known as a messianic psalm, and it very much foreshadows the relationship between God and his son Jesus. So when you get home today, read it again with that in mind and see how Christ perfectly fulfills every line in this, in this psalm. But we also appropriate these promises for our lives as well. Um, I read this wonderful little line. All the rivers of thy grace I claim. Over every promise I write my name. That's what we do. That's what the Word of God does for us. Okay, the first half of the psalm, we learn that in order to dwell in our fortress, we have to have faith in his character, in his faithfulness, and in his righteousness, and then fear won't be the master of us. Look what First John tells us about that. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. And here's the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So once our faith is more secure, we can fall deeper in love with God because we know who he really is. 
Not who we made him up to be in our mind, not who someone else told us, but who the Word of God told us. So now we can deepen our love for him. It keeps us lodged in the fortress as well. The following verses in this psalm describe the great love the psalmist has for God. And if you noticed, it wasn't just an emotional love. It was a love of action. It was a love of pursuit. And it also describes the love that God has for the psalmist. It's also not an emotional love. It's a love of action and pursuit. This has to be true for us. We have to pursue intimacy with God. Our intimate relationship with God is a living fortress of protection in our lives so that our fears don't overwhelm us, we deepen our love. Look at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. So in these verses, the psalmist is describing his experience with God and calling others to do the same thing. And he's saying, because you've made God your home, you're protected from evil. So when we are at home, our fears can subside. And I thought, what are the other homes we like to create? Well, if I'm afraid, I might want to run to friends or family that are just going to flatter me. And so that sort of um, postpones my fears. Or there's addictions in the world that we go to when we're afraid. And that just sort of numbs our fears. And then we think, I'll just stay busy and I'll do a lot of things. And that just ignores our fears for a time. But then they keep coming back. These verses tell us, if God is your home, if that's who you dwell with, you will find true safety and true peace, fear subsiding. And here's one reason why. Look at verse 11. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Did you guys know there are angels hovering around us? Do any of you remember that old song, Angels Hovering Around Us? We used to sing it in Young Life, and my Young Life leader would sing it and then be going like this. <laughs> That's how I remember it. It's true. There are angels hovering around us. Part of God's protection for you. What a great act of love for us and God is their commander look at Hebrews 1 on your verse sheet are not angels all ministering spirits sent out by God to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation because of his love for us God sends angelic escorts to guard us from evil what are the evils in these verses first lest you strike your foot against a stone okay how many of us stub our toes all the time this is something that was trips us up it's unintended it surprises us we didn't know it would happen and then he goes back to Satan's scheme. Satan is, was known as both a lion and a snake. And he talks about treading on the serpent. That would be, again, those sneaky, hidden plans of Satan. And treading the lion would be those dramatic, violent acts of Satan. 
And God's saying all these kinds of things, all these dangers, I will be with you. You read in your homework, these were the very verses Satan used to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Remember that? They're in the wilderness. Satan keeps coming back to Jesus to tempt him. And he says, you know, come to the pinnacle of the temple, jump off, because Psalm 91 verse 13 says, God will send his angels concerning you uh, to protect you. But God had not told Jesus to jump down from the temple pinnacle of the temple Satan was trying to get Jesus to do something apart from the will of God and Jesus refused to do that that would be testing God and this is such a great lesson for us today we can take God's most amazing promises and apply them foolishly I think I may have mentioned this last time but it fits here so well the the sad story of the pastor who recently died because their worship service, for the most part, was the handling of poisonous snakes. Finally, one bit him and killed him, and he died. And I thought, you know, this verse isn't telling us, go out, look for lions and snakes <laughs> so you can wrestle them or be with them. That's testing God. This verse is about trusting God to overcome the plans of Satan in your life. Don't apply these verses foolishly. I thought it was also interesting that Satan quoted verse 13 to Jesus. Um, no, sorry, verse 12. The angels will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. But did you notice he doesn't mention verse 13? How he's going to be trampled on <laughs> and overcome by the plans of God? That's why they call him a tricky devil. He's tricky. Okay, the end of this psalm is a love story, and I love it. This is a picture of the depth of love that God desires between his creation, between God and man. This needs to be our story because our love story with God uh, determines our victory over fear. 1 John 4 teaches us about that. We know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Okay, here's a great line that, that depicts a fortress, so look at it. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in him, in the fortress. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So look at verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, this is God talking, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So how can we know the psalmist, this individual loved God? How do we demonstrate? Three things happen here. First, he held fast to God in love. Hold fast, there's actually the word cling which I love. We cling to God in love. And you know what this word is? It wasn't used very much. It's the word God would use when he talked about his love for Israel. Can you imagine that? An enduring, committed love. That's how much the psalmist loved God. He clings to him. And if you've ever had um, anyone cling to you when they're afraid... 
Doesn't that feel interesting? If you have young kids and you want to see them cling to you, take them to the Carlsbad Caverns. And when all the lights go off, your child will run and cling to you. And that touches our hearts, and we want to protect them. Same thing's true with God. When we run to Him in the dark times, when we're clinging to Him throughout our lives, He wants to protect us. He loves us. Another evidence that the psalmist loved God, he knows God's name. Name here means character, what we've just been talking about. God is saying he knows who I really am, so he's not disappointed. He trusts in me. And the third one is the person who loves God will call upon God. Not first their friends, not their spouse first, not books, not a horoscope, not a self-help. They go to God most high, God almighty, the one who can do something about it and the one that cares. That's where they've placed their trust. And I thought, you know, these three things, this is loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We cling to God with all our heart. We call out to God with all our soul. We know his name with all our mind. That's how much we love God. And what does God's love look like for those who dwell with him? We read these incredible promises. God says, I will deliver him, protect, answer, be with, rescue, honor, satisfy him with long life, and show him my salvation. I think these facts alone of God's love for us should feed our faith and diminish our fears. What a great thing to turn back to when you feel your faith waning. Go back and read what God wants to do for us because of his great love for us. This is our divine reassurance and comfort. We are not helpless in this scary world. We have a fortress and the fortress is strong and mighty and loves us. So when God says to us, don't be afraid, because we have faith in who he is and because of our love story with him, we know how to answer right. I want you all to read out loud with me right now, verse 2 of Psalm 91. Ready? I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. When God says, don't be afraid, we say, I'll trust you. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed and humbled at the kind of God you are. Thank you, thank you. Teach us to stay in your fortress. Teach us to know who you are. Teach us to abide in your love that we may lead lives of victory for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.